Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning, y'all, and welcome to our weekly episode of Taking Care of Business. Uh, My guest this wonderful Canadian morning uh, is on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean uh, in her London office. Uh, I want to welcome Sherry McMillan, founder of the McMillan Estate Planning Corporation. Good morning, or should I say good afternoon, Sherry? It is afternoon, but good afternoon and good morning, David. <laughs> uh, thank you for being my guest today. Um, Sherry, before we start kind of diving into the entrepreneur spirits uh, and life uh, that you kind of have, I have a few, a few questions in regards to this week. Um, how did you celebrate Canada Day? It was Canada Day on July 1st, and were you in Canada or were you in London? I was in Canada. Um, I was very fortunate, David. I have a good friend who owns a property out in Kelowna. So we got to see the fireworks and have a few red t-shirts on and then hopped the plane over here to London to get back to work. (laughs) I see. Um, And, uh, you know, today is a big day in England, as you probably know, I think. Yes. (laughs) It's always... (laughs) Um, it's always interesting when there are big events because the British people really are, I call them yellow people. They're so happy um, and they always are looking for a reason to party. <laughs> so today England is playing in the uh, World Cup against Colombia in about, uh, what, four hours, less than four hours. Less than so, four hours. Uh, yeah, so do you feel it around the office, on the street? Uh, is there kind of, you know, enthusiasm, excitement? Well, you know, it's one of the first opportunities, right, to recover. So I think our office is probably not working. It's like a comparison to the Calgary Stampede over here. And the energy is very excited. I'm sure a lot of people will be calling in sick tomorrow, David. (laughs) And did you already choose uh, which pub you're going to watch the game? Yes. Um, We have one just local uh, here by our office. So our team will go down and maybe uh, we'll win. You never know. (laughs) <laughs> we oh wow so you became you know if, if we're in sports let me ask you a question that is uh, kind of uh, more related to Calgary before we dive into your life uh, well, last question I promise about sport are you in are you in favor or against uh, Calgary bidding for the 2026 Olympics oh I sure hope we do um, I think it was fantastic in the 80 in the 88 to for us in, as a city and I would be just thrilled to see it come back. Were, were you here in 1988 when the Olympics were in Calgary? I was. It was a very exciting time here in Calgary, and we certainly benefited from it, I think, even to this day. What, what do you remember from those days uh, in '88 from the Olympics? Well, I think, um, for me, the exciting part was actually the, the luge, because I'd never seen it before. Um, I'm not brave enough myself to do it, David, but I sure appreciate watching it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a challenge, you know, for your next birthday or something to, to right. do luge when you come for back to Calgary. Yes. I'll give myself a little time to prepare. <laughs> I see, I see. Um, if I remember correct, you are a native Calgarian. I am. Um, my family was uh from Saskatchewan originally, but they came to Calgary. And my grandfather, he built Denny the dinosaur, the first dinosaur at the Calgary Zoo, when I was a very wee popper. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so we have uh, long-standing is, roots. Is Denny the dinosaur still there, or he was replaced? No, he was moved uh, when they actually executed the new dinosaur park. And my husband was a little terrified, truthfully, David, because he thought I'm going to try and bring it home for the backyard. <laughs> but thankfully, they preserved it. I see. Uh, you know, what do you, what do you remember from Calgary? Calgary went through, since 88, since the Olympics, Calgary went through a major kind of change from uh, what was about 500,000 or 550,000 to over a million and a quarter in, in less than, t- in about 25 years or 30 years. That's a major shift. What do you remember from the old Calgary and, and watching the city kind of grow? Well, it's been quite exponential in my lifetime. Um 
my grandfather built their house down by Shunek Center, and we have family photos where there were fields behind the house before Shunek Center came in. And, you know, the city has become quite metropolitan, which is fantastic for us. We're growing, and we have lots of home offices that have come in. And one of the exciting parts when I was younger was when the Deerfoot came in, that we could race around up and down the city, because before we had to go down all these back roads to get across the city. But now we think Deerfoot's backed up. <laughs> I see. Uh, so entrepreneurship runs in your family, your grandfather or your father? Yes, um, entrepreneurial spirit for sure. Uh, my grandfather was self-employed. Uh, he was back then considered a master carpenter, so he worked on Shunick Center and the Calgary Tower and then Denny the Dinosaur, so he made his mark in Calgary, no question. Um, my father was in technology as an entrepreneur, and he uh, eventually located to Atlanta to be able to fly back and forth to Hong Kong. So I have had that spirit in our family uh, my entire life growing up. I see. Any siblings? I am. I'm the oldest of six children. So oh, wow. um, that's why I think I'm overly responsible, David. <laughs> well, will they will they say the same? <laughs> yes, they would. <laughs> <laughs> I see. And and uh, any entrepreneurship uh, with your siblings? Um, no, I would say I am at the forefront of the entrepreneurship in my family, and um, a lot of my siblings have gone on to have great professions, but have chosen to what we call as an entrepreneur to work for the man. I see. Um, so you kind of grew up in Calgary. I went to school here, I guess, to high school uh, and uh, university. Yes, I studied finance here in Calgary at U of C. Um, then I went on to work in the chartered banks for a window of time. And then I took um, accounting and ended up working in an accounting firm. So I had a broad uh, spectrum of understanding, but... I was really motivated, truthfully, David, to enter this industry from an incident that happened in my family when I was a young girl. Okay. Yeah, so... Will you you share the incident with us? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, Well, being that I am the eldest in my family, um, my grandfather took me on as the surrogate grandson because he wasn't fortunate enough to have some when I was a young lady. So I used to go... Uh, fishing with him quite a bit. We would go out to Lake Louise and go fishing. And I was so blessed because I had this little special relationship with grandfather. And I remember as a young girl, we had this family member that would always come from Saskatchewan for a family Christmas. It was his sister and all her cousins. So it was always an adventure to have everyone together at Christmas and a, a really nice time. And then from time to time, we'd go to Saskatchewan for Christmas. But being it's the boonies, we didn't go that often, David. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, one particular year, I think I was around 11, the family quit coming home for Christmas. And so while I had the privilege of fishing with my grandfather, I asked him, you know, are they mad at us? Why won't they come home? What is going on? And my grandfather used to call me Sherry Baby, so he'd call me Sherry Baby, this is what happened. He said, I was the son in the family, and I had to take care of your great-grandparents' estate, and they owed a whole bunch of income tax. And so the farm that his sister was farming on was lost to income tax, and so they were quite angry with my grandfather not handling the estate appropriately, rightfully so, of course. Um, And I just remember saying to Grandfather at that time, I'm going to grow up and figure that out because it's not right for families to fight over money. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I'm still fighting for that cause. <laughs> how, how old were you? I was 11 at the time. Okay. Um, and, you know, I really had no idea or understanding, David, of where this would take me or in which directions. But I did know, as the eldest child, I did want to help people Um, you know, find ways to not pay taxes, find ways to keep harmony in their family, and that's very important to me, even to this day in establishing Macmillan. I see. So uh, from that day, it was instead of Sherry Baby, it was Sherry with a goal? That's right. Um, I was always entrepreneurial. I, I always like to share with people how crazy I am because 
when I was in that same age bracket, our friends would always come over in the summer and we'd run through the sprinkler. And, of course, everybody made freezies out of um, Kool-Aid. That was the real yeah. cool thing <laughs> to do. And I remember thinking of a device called a freezer wave that I could create so that we could make freezies faster. And so I had this engineering plan as well. But unfortunately, I'm not an engineer, David, so I ended up in estate planning instead. I see. Um, you know, you mentioned that you went to UFC and you mentioned that you uh, then uh, took accounting. Was that also in Calgary? It was. And then I studied out of uh, London, England. They have a designation called the Trust and Estate Practitioner. And eventually, I was able to accomplish uh, completing that particular designation, and it's a specialty. It um, looks at all the arenas of estate work, such as trusts, and it is based out of England very deliberately because they have the longest history of generational wealth and transferring it. So there was no urgency to go and travel the world, you know, maybe leave Alberta and Saskatchewan for a while, you know, backpacking, anything of adventurous kind of uh, feel or you're a good girl going through school and getting a job and staying you know, home? Yes, I, I was um, one of those stereotypical A driver personalities. I just wanted to accomplish something and get on with my life. Um, however, now I can say, David, I do travel the world, and sometimes I'm completely irresponsible. <laughs> so I just delayed it, I suppose. Um, I see. Yeah. Uh, and, so, so, go ahead. And, and I, I'm glad for it because I think exponentially the business has benefited from me starting younger. I see, and probably it's easier uh, financially to travel now than other in the 20s. But you have to yes. live on a, a penny a day. That's right. <laughs> now I I negotiate if it's four or five star, of course. <laughs> I see. Now, you know, when we did our research, um, I saw another video of yours on your website um, that tells a story about, you tell a story, um, what happened to you in the banking industry that made you leave the banking industry and want to open your own shop? So before we go to the commercial, can you share this with our listeners? Certainly, David. Um, I think it was the callousness for me to open the business. Uh, I was a young lady, finished with my education, and I was working in one of the chartered banks. And this lovely senior couple uh, came into the branch, and I, I assume they were about in their 80s. And they wanted to um, renegotiate a GIC that had expired for about half a million dollars. And so as I got chatting with them for the first five or ten minutes, I was kind of querying what they planned to do with this money. Was it for retirement? Did they need income? Did they want to share it with their family? And so as I was pursuing this conversation, I could see quite clearly that they didn't know. And so I suggested to them... Why don't I just put it into a term certificate that you can cash daily and you go home and think about it and then come back for a visit and we can determine the right recommendations for you. So they agreed to that and off they went. Um, well, that very afternoon, I was brought into the manager's office and scolded severely that I didn't work for the client. I worked for the bank and the best thing to do would have been to renew this GIC for another five years. And so my argument was a little feisty. I said, well, you know, they're in their 80s. And the bank said, that's not our issue. So I went home that very evening, David, and I told my husband, I just, morally, I can't do this. I have to quit my job, and you're going to have to support me. And being that we were high school sweethearts, the poor man agreed to this. And I started McMillan after two weeks of notice, and off we went. And he's still your husband. And I still am married to him, so fortunately it worked out. <laughs> I see. That's, that's a great story. Um, Sherry, you know, we have to take our first commercial break. I encourage uh, our listeners to open a new tab and go to www.macmillanestate.com where you can learn more about Macmillan Estate services and expertise as well as watch many of the uh, informative videos on the video gallery page. We will meet you here on the other side of the commercials. 
Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We are back with my guest, Sherry McMillan, founder of McMillan Estate Planning Corporation. And Sherry, uh, you know, uh, you told us a story that you left the bank and, and spoke with Mr. McMillan and said, Mr. McMillan, you're going to support me now. So what was the next step for you? So I was quite naive, David. I was only 24 and I had a $1,000 line of credit to start the business. And I ultimately bought some office furniture and a computer and printed some very tacky 1980s uh, cards on marble that was forest green, like that was in style at the time. And I started networking and making lunch dates with families to see if I could help them. And within about 90 days, I had attained 35 clients that -hmm. wanted our assistance. So... I knew I was on the right track. Um, lots of learning, of course. Every entrepreneur is humbled by being one because you learn about what you don't know, which is an awful lot. So, um, you know, I realized very quickly in my career that I'm going to be an everlasting student. Mm-hmm. Well, you said you were 24, but don't forget you had 13 years to prepare since you were 11. And you know, the fishing trip. So you prepared for 13 years. Um, but so in a kind of, uh, you know, a few words or a few sentences, can you explain the whole uh, family office concept to our listeners? Certainly. So, And, and don't forget, we have only another 40 minutes for the show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, our purpose We call it safeguarding significance, and to us that means an assortment of different things at different times in families' lives. So sometimes families are in the infancy of building a business, and sometimes they're uh, in the middle of building the business, and sometimes they're retiring and selling a business or transferring it to the next generation. And all through these phases of life, what's important to us changes and it shifts. It's never consistently the same, and that's due to the fact all of us continue to grow. So what families need in in preparation for all these changes that will occur is they need a support system to go to um, and rely upon in order to find out all the things that they need to know that are not their areas of expertise. So family offices traditionally will have everything from a lawyer in the office or a few lawyers like ours. Um, accountants, financial planners, estate planners, so that what happens is you don't have to talk to multiple people in order for a full plan to come together for you. And, you know, a lot of bigger industries do this where they will hire every tradesperson so nobody can argue about how to fix something for somebody. They must work it out amongst themselves. And our industry is no different because... You know, if you're a a business owner, for example, and you want to ask a legal question, you may ask three different lawyers and get three different answers. And we find that in every arena. And so what's important is that you get a consensus of wisdom and the pros and cons of each option. So um, 
we become part of the family in effect, David. I mean, our clients hug us. We don't um, shake hands as much as people would think because we know everything about, you know, their passions, their dreams, their objectives, and some of the tragedies that they will face along the way. And then we're blessed as they have family and grandchildren. Um, you know, we get to see those come to fruition and we get to see them succeed in business or succeed as a, an executive and, you know, find their purpose. The real blessing of working with families through this kind of duration is that we get to see them live out their real purposes as they unfold because most of us, you know, go through those phases of life where we're creating family, we're trying to create a living, and then when we've done that and have that type of security, we are really looking for our purpose. And so that's why we call ourselves safeguarding significance, because that's what we're trying to focus on to protect for you. I see. Um, let's go back a few years, like, um, you know, five, five, six years when you were 24 and you opened your new business. Um, you said that within a few uh, weeks or months, you had uh, 35 clients. So looking back, what were your biggest challenges at that time? Because at that time, I, if I'm guessing here, I would say you didn't have a lawyer and an accountant and a tax advisor in your, in your home office or in your office. So no, what, were the challenge, what were the challenges when you started? You're absolutely right, David. So I think my first obstacle truly was that I was female in a male-dominated industry. Um, traditionally, in this area, most people were male. And so I was kind of new in that regard. In addition, not just being female, I was really young. And I looked really young. So um, you, still, you still look young. Oh, you're too gracious, David. <laughs> and so, you know, I remember one time sitting in my office with a, a wonderful gentleman, probably in his mid-50s, and we were talking about his estate. And a young politician, maybe in his mid-30s, came in, you know, to promote uh, the running he was doing. And once he left the office, my client said to me, I'd never vote for somebody that young. They don't know what the hell they're doing. (laughs) 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 And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm probably at least five years younger. (laughs) He's looking to me. So, you know, that was an obstacle I found initially. But both of those became an advantage to me because what occurred was as families um, started to mature, their professionals started to mature too. And so they were looking for somebody younger that could live with them for another few decades as they continued to build their business or go into retirement. So that youth actually was to my advantage. I just didn't realize it in early days. The second thing was being female actually did give me a competitive edge, and I admit it, because I think what has happened is you know, we know this, is it's done in studies that the women are often the people that are the decision makers behind the scenes when it can, comes to buying power. And women are also more driven to have security, and estate planning is about that. So what would happen is I'd often have the wives bringing in their husbands to do estate planning and saying, I've told Bob he needs to do this 10 times, but we're going to get it done now. And... Because I was a woman and understood that, I think I connected a lot with a lot of families um, in that regard, and it was to my advantage. And the other interesting thing for me, David, was with my knowledge base, you know, unfortunately, I say this uh, with the utmost respect for gentlemen, because society has always depicted that all men must know everything about law, tax, and finance. And yet, all women should know how to cook. But it's not true. Um, We don't all know all of those things by osmosis. And so what I have found is the way in which we do estate designing with families is we get everybody on the same page in concepts. Not in detail, but in concepts. So everybody's coming to a consensus of what the right strategy is for the entire family. And, you know, we're all smart people, and if we bring it down to layman's terms, everybody can understand their two or three choices, and then they make the right one for themselves. So you start uh, your business and you get uh, clients. At that time, did you have, like, a mission, a vision, a purpose, or you just decided, you know what, 
Harry, I'm going out there and I'm getting clients and we'll see what happens. Well, I did have some mission. I certainly did not want to be biased to any particular institution. Um, in fact, that was one of my criteria when I was figuring out how to get licensed. Is when I interviewed various companies that would license me, I wanted to ensure that I had full liberty to represent anything that was helpful to a client. So that was a definite mission because I found industry to be very driven by products and not planning, and I wanted our firm to be a planning firm. So that was one of the obstacles. The next obstacle, David, was I needed office space, and I was so blessed. Um, One of the accountants that I had networked with had a vacant uh, space, and so I joined him. His name was Bill Peters at the time, and he acted as my surrogate accountant, uh, although he was an employee, he had his own practice. He would assist me with some of the tax work. And then next door to my office was a lawyer that I would pull in from time to time um, to make sure we completed the proper trust documents or the right wills and so forth for the family. So I sort of had a little three-man team um, going, but they weren't my employees at that time, but now they are, of course. I see. So when when did you start kind of uh, building the uh, Macmillan Estate um, structure empire of uh, with, with employees that are part of the Macmillan group? So I actually did hire um, in my first year two employees. One was an administrator, but one was an accountant. And then, of course, over the years, we've just added more and more professionals into our group. So now we have professional groups not only here in Calgary, uh, we have obviously a professional group out of London here so that we can serve the EU and uh, Britain, although I don't know what that's going to look like in a while. Um, mm-hmm. And then we also have our offices out of the United States. So we have multiple jurisdictions that we're contending with because families are so uh, advanced today and sophisticated. They have assets all over the world and their families spread out all over the world. So there's additional complications that we once never faced. And now that you have the multiple offices and, and um, a lot of employees, do you guys at uh, Macmillan Estate Planning Corporation have your mission, vision, uh, statements, and purpose statement? We absolutely do. Um, it, it took us a lot of evolution to figure out what it was that we were actually doing, David, and um, one of the tools that we used as a management group was the Simon Sinek um, method, and he's a British author, if your audience doesn't know of him, um, and he always talks about how you come up with why you do what you do. And so we spent quite an exorbitant amount of time figuring out what do we actually do, and over a window of time coming up with various words, and he suggests that you get your vision down to admission down to five words or less. And mm-hmm. so we did play quite a bit with word whispering until we landed upon safeguarding significance. And I remember when we did, it just hit our, all of our hearts. We all went, that's exactly what we do. And so we actually um, not only utilize that in protecting our families that we have the privilege to work with, we also use it with our team. So, you know, if one team member treats the other team member poorly, we ask, did you safeguard their significance? And then right away they'll say no and then apologize and make it right. Um, And safeguarding significance is different at different phases of life because what's important to us changes and it's an evolution. And the other obstacle, of course, for, for poor families is if that's not tough enough, the dynamics of family changing, the government is always changing everything. Uh, both in tax and law for our poor families. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, uh, the question I have is with the three offices in three different locations, three different countries, uh, two continents, um, how does everyone kind of connect to the uh, mission, vision of purpose of Macmillan? How do you, how do you take it from the wall to the office? Yes. Um, I would suggest that we use a lot of uh, Skype. So we don't actually feel like we're three separate offices because of the way we work together. Um, And we do help families multi-jurisdictionally. So 
we have to know the summary of facts for each family in each jurisdiction. They have assets or family members. And so what we do is we coordinate a team for them. Um, so perhaps we have somebody in London helping with their assets, but we have a lead planner in Canada where their predominant assets are. And so when we meet with the family, we just Skype the professional from that uh, jurisdiction in so that they're not retraining everybody. And this is really efficient for our families because can you imagine having to go around the world sorting out different issues in different estates? So um, we find it very helpful. And we also travel amongst the businesses back and forth, depending on what we're up to. Um, We also make sure when we do our hiring, David, this is the really crucial thing, is we have a psychologist that built our hiring process to make sure that the individual truly has the right integrity to safeguard significance of families. And so there's a number of questions that we lay out when we're interviewing to ensure that we do attract the best kind of people for this field. So you you hire for character and and teach the skills. That's absolutely right, because people who care about people are a right fit for Macmillan. And then we have technicians in-house that can come up with all the technical ideas. But what we need at the forefront are people who really care about people so that we truly get to know all the soft issues, who they are, where they're driving to, so that we can build the plan to support that. I've always said that you know all of these areas in estate planning are not there to tell you what to do. They're there to support what you want to do. And so first figuring out your mission and your vision, and then the professionals that stand behind you need to support and push it forward for you. We shouldn't be driving where you're going. Sherry, uh, you know, we reached our second commercial break. Okay. Uh, to our, our listeners, when you open a new tab and go to macmillanestate.com, you can follow them on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Google+, and Twitter. Wow, you are very kind of connected through uh, social media and connect with them on LinkedIn. We will back. We'll be back with you following the commercials. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-294. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I-Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. 
We're back for the last uh, segment of today's episode of Taking Care of Business with my guest, Sherry McMillan, founder of McMillan Estate Planning. Sherry, uh, I have a question for you, and, and I'm, I may be guessing here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but um, when I think about family office, I think that most, the client, most of the clients would be probably, you know, self-employed or entrepreneurs that, you know, go through uh, life uh, with their business. Um, am I correct with this assumption? Um, I would certainly say the predominant group is probably 75% of our clients, David, are business owners and need that kind of support. But we're finding more and more that a lot of families that have created affluence, maybe by shares in their corporations, um, executives, you know, where they're getting a large package, have the same kind of issues. They want to make sure they're mitigating high tax rates that we face. Yeah. And also making sure that they're secure because generally speaking, our families are at the stage of life that they don't want to go back to work because they have to. They just want to choose what they want to do. And so we want to make sure a proportion of their estate is completely secure to provide lifestyle for them for you know the future. So I would say it's becoming a mixture because a lot of families have created affluence by working for other large companies as well. I see. But let's focus on the 75% because uh, my show is about entrepreneurship. So what are we doing wrong? Why do we need a family offices? I know know we need. And what what are the entrepreneurs doing wrong? Is it focused just on the business and forgetting everything else? Is it, uh, you know, doing, what are we doing wrong? I think the first thing that entrepreneurs have to realize is when they're building their estate, they're adding one more family member. It's called Canada Revenue Agency to their whole situation. And if we don't plan proactively, that can actually destroy the business. And so when we're creating affluence like a bit family business, we want to make sure we're mitigating tax all the way through our life, not just at the end when we pass on, but each calendar year so that there's more preservation of value in the business and the opportunity costs are explosive. So that's one of the main focuses. The second one, David, is really interesting. Technically speaking, family business only succeeds 15% of the time to the next generation. And the reason for that, I think, is multiple layers of complications. But I think the prominent one is the wisdom and the transfer of the knowledge to the next generation. And they've done studies on this, and they say it takes 15 calendar years for your grade matter to transfer to the next generation or your key employees. And we just take it for granted when we're entrepreneurial that everybody knows what we know, but it's not true. And so we need to um, educate our team and find the right team to transfer that knowledge to. And generally speaking, when we're working with entrepreneurs, it's more than one individual that can replicate the entrepreneur. So it's often a whole team and the entrepreneur has to pour into those people Um, for them to take that knowledge forward in the same mission for the company. So it's a long duration, and entrepreneurs are impatient. We want to get things done quickly. (laughs) And that's great. That's why we do get things done quickly. But at the same token, without the proper planning in place, your most important asset in your estate can be jeopardized. And so I just call it, you know, taking care and stewarding this life's work that you have. And it's important that we do that at the same time. So we always maintain a beautiful car, but we need to also maintain our family's well-being. And this is where I think all of us need estate planning because estate planning is about protecting yourself through every calendar year into your family's future, including yourself first, first and foremost. I see. So you, you basically say there's a big risk of doing nothing. Well, doing nothing can mean all kinds of disastrous things. The the first one we often see is a massive amount of tax that was not otherwise due because Canada Revenue Agency, the IRS, are not forgiving. They don't let us back up and correct it. And then the very second thing that I think is fundamentally even more important is that harmony can be lost because things were not put in order in advance. And there's nothing more disastrous than children not uh, having a good relationship after losing their parents already over the asset base. So 
we're very conscientious when we're designing an estate plan that harmony has to be one of the drivers in the way in which we design because you can't replace a brother and sister, but you can replace a particular stock, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, Sherry, I want to kind of ask you, you know, I'm sure that you have a lot of competition and like every entrepreneur, you, you know, um, you have some big whales in the industry. Um, and how do you compete with those big whales? How do you kind of, uh, you know, sh- demonstrate to the client or, or to clients, to new clients, to customers, to, to prospects that um, they should work with the entrepreneur family office rather with the big whale, which we won't mention names? <laughs> well, David, in my opinion, uh, people need relationships. We all do. And one of the challenges with the, the big whales are, is that you are really an account number and nobody knows you or what your drives are in life and your objectives and your purposes. Whereas in a more boutique kind of firm like ourselves, we still offer the same expertise to the family. In fact, I feel better expertise because this is all the work that we do. We're specialists. But we also assist because we build family relationships and we're part of their family. We're part of their team. And so when a crisis occurs, they're not going to strangers to fix things. They're coming to us where we hug them and hold them and fix what we need to fix for them to move forward. And so we get to celebrate with them in life mostly, thankfully, but we're also there to hold their hands when they, time comes and they really need that. And so I would say, you know, the blessing of my work is to hear families say that they couldn't have done it without Macmillan. And, you know, to me that's the reward of that support in the community that we can give. I see. Before we kind of conclude with a few more business questions, I have a question maybe is related to business as well, but uh, you, you mentioned earlier the word legacy. many to- A few times we talked about family legacy, people's legacy. Um, and for me, when I hear the word legacy, charity uh, comes to mind. Um, does Macmillan, is Macmillan involved in any charity and, and creating your legacy? We are, David. We're very uh, fortunate to have brought into Canada about a year ago the David Sheldrick Wildlife Fund, and it's a fund that sponsors the, the saving of orphaned elephants, little baby orphan elephants in Africa. Um, the backstory, however, is I read this book called Love, Life, and Elephants by Dame Sheldrick, and she was knighted by the Queen for her work. And the reason she was knighted is... She lived in South Africa when her family was young. They were just little kids, two and four, and her husband died when she was in her only her 20s. And so she was a white woman left alone in Africa. And one day somebody brought her this tiny baby elephant, only a couple months old, to try and save it. And so she went through the process of actually figuring out formula to save a baby and then She had to go to a wedding, so after killing quite a few elephants, she finally saved one and went off to this wedding and hired a steward, a caregiver, to take care. But the baby died because it was heartbroken. Mm -hmm. And so she realized very quickly that elephants are very much like humans and they need a family. So she ended up hiring locally caregivers that would sleep with the elephants every night but alternate the nights they slept with them so they built a family. And you have to understand that elephants need feeding for three years every three hours. So this is quite a task. Um, <laughs> the, the beautiful part is she's changed the world. They call her Jane Goodall of the elephant because she's now um, created this formula that in every um, conservation project with elephants they utilize. And she was knighted uh, in the 90s by the Queen of England. But what's really neat about this story, David, is not only the courage that it took for her, but that her children took this legacy on, and now her grandchildren have taken on the legacy. Um, They're flying all the helicopters and planes for the anti-poaching team. So I just find it remarkable how one person can make such a dramatic difference in the lives of so many because she's impacted her community by creating work and she's now saved over 200 elephants, orphaned elephants, and they themselves have had 200 more in the wild. So it's quite a beautiful story. I encourage everybody to look it up. 
and it's only fifty dollars a year to adopt a baby elephant. <laughs> I see. <laughs> you, you never, you never stop selling, right? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I want to give her as much support as possible. How important is it for an entrepreneur busy with his business to be involved in in community or charity or legacy? Well, there was a really interesting study when I was uh, taking on my early career, David, and it said that our happiness is. 10% of it is how we're born. We're just born happy or sad by nature. 40% is how we choose to think. So even if we are born a little grouchy, we can choose to think happy thoughts. But interesting enough, they say 50% of whether you're happy or not is if you serve, if you do service. And in my experience of working with all the families through the years that I've had, I know it to be true. And the ones that are the most joyous are the ones that are giving back. And I know myself, even in my own experience, so that is true. So I encourage everyone not to do legacy planning when they've passed on because they're not benefiting um, in the experience of it themselves. It's so much better to be doing it in your own lifetime. Sherry, back to business. Uh, we're at 2018. Uh, let's uh, walk together to the future. Where do you see Macmillan uh, estate planning in 10 years from now? 2028. Well, we actually do have plans uh, to expand into Hong Kong in 2019, and we think a couple of years later into Australia. So we want to be able to serve basically the Western community at large. Um, I'm selfish in that I have a brother who lives in Australia, David, so I might be wanting to go for a visit or two. Um, but I think where I'm really looking forward to estate planning is virtual estate planning. And we're currently working in that area because of technology and advancement. And I'm excited for the general population because I believe that there is a lot of abundance that will be created. We're proving it. Every decade, we're wealthier than the decade before. And so it's really an exciting time for mankind. And I'm just looking forward to doing really unique things like virtual planning where people can be anywhere in the world and still complete a proper estate plan. So, so what is the biggest challenge or challenges you're facing growing the, the business uh, to other jurisdictions and other areas? Well, you'll probably not be surprised by this challenge, David, but it's to take the lawyer and the accountant out of our professionals, meaning that we need them to be people-orientated and then technically-orientated or- secondly. And so at first, they're a little confused because they don't have billable hours um, and they're supposed <laughs> to be friendly and talk to people. <laughs> so it's integrating them into the culture. I see. <laughs> um, during this journey, did you have or do you have uh, mentors? Absolutely. Um, I, I've always had the belief that you will grow and new mentors will show up in your life when you're ready for them. So technically speaking, I always try and look for five mentors a year um, that know things I don't know. And if you ask humbly for their assistance, you'll be often surprised that they're more than willing to assist you. Of course, I think you should reciprocate to others who ask of you. But I've been so blessed, David. I've been... um, part of the John Maxwell group at one point where he only selected 12 students and I was able to mentor under him. I ultimately uh, am an avid reader as well because mentorship can't even come from reading. And so I think all of us uh, have so much growth potential in ourselves and it's important that we spend a portion of our day doing that. Um, Sherry, we're really getting close to the end. We have less than four minutes. So I have a few kind of uh, questions to kind of summarize. So in your experience over the years, um, if you had to say, to sit today and mentor a new entrepreneur, someone who wants, who wants to get into business, what are the two or three experiences, good experiences that you had that you're going to recommend? If you do this, you will be successful The first one I would say is follow your heart. You need to have a passion for it because you're always going to have obstacles along the way. But if it's part of who you are and it's truly your purpose and it's part of your heart, you can overcome those because of that desire and that strength. The second one is get mentorship. Don't learn everything the hard way. I did do that in the beginning and I regret it. Um, You know, ask. 
Just ask. The universe will give you the answers. And lastly, I think cherish your experience because not all of us have the privilege of being an entrepreneur and there's a responsibility that goes along with that because we are leaders in the community. And so we have to be mindful of the fact we are and, you know, give back and be conscientious in supporting the community at large because they're the ones who give to us. Sherry, a tough one. What have you learned about yourself during this journey? So much, truly, David. Um, Humbly, I really feel that I have learned all my strengths and weaknesses at some level. What I do endeavor to do predominantly is live in my zones of genius, is what I call it, and not my zones of weakness. Um, But I think one of the things that I fundamentally have realized is that I can run my business uh, in a position of love. And I know that sounds a little odd, but when I started it, I had these fairy tale dreams of I was going to love a bunch of people in the community and it would work out. And I can say it has. And so I teach my, my team, you know, be caring and be loving towards people, have empathy because they're all going through different challenges. We all do in life. And so I'm really grateful that the community at large in business is starting to take that position of values when they run their businesses today. Sherry, um, I loved this interview, and uh, I love uh, the fact that we got to know each other in, uh, what, uh, less than two months ago? Yeah. Um, (laughs) And uh, I would love to meet you when you come back to Calgary. Uh, We reached the end of today's episode of Taking Care of Business. Uh, Thank you, Sherry. Uh, for being my guest. It was a pleasure as well as interesting to learn about you as an entrepreneur and about the Macmillan Estate family office. Uh, We wish you guys continued growth and success. Uh, Thank you for your emails. I got some great recommendations for new guests. Please keep on emailing me um, as well as uh, with suggestions at dvwallach at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, like us on Facebook, and connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you, Erin, our dedicated engineer, and Cassandra, my executive assistant executive producer. We will meet you here at voiceamerica.com slash variety next Tuesday, July 10th, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Your host, David Wallach. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it. 